everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. So this is week three of our series called About That Life. And uh, what we have been discussing, we kicked off this series coming off of Easter because we wanted to look at, okay, we, we look at Easter and we're thankful for the resurrection, there's celebration, and you've got some people that show up maybe for the first time, and then uh, for those that have been in church for a while, this is kind of like our Super Bowl, and we look forward to it, and it happens, and we celebrate, and then we start looking at the off-season again. But we started looking at this because in Christ, there really is no off-season. That we can walk in and live in resurrection life every single day. That's his desire. And so the question is, well, what is this life? What does it look like? What does it mean to actually, what is, what is the impact on the day-to-day? What is, it, what is life supposedly like after the resurrection? Because sometimes we talk about the resurrection, but we don't actually know how to live a resurrected life. And so week one, we talked about baptism. Before you can come alive in Christ, we must put to death the old man or the old woman. We must put to death old patterns of sin. And water baptism is a demonstration. It's a supernatural and a public demonstration that the old has been left in a watery grave. And as I come up, I rise in the victory of Jesus. And so we celebrated some amazing baptisms a couple weeks ago. I was just absolutely elated by just seeing God work in the hearts of people. Then week two, last week, we talked about righteousness and sanctification and the fact that righteousness is a word that can sometimes make people get a little bit squeamish. We get a little bit nervous. We start thinking about works and, and you know, when we, whenever we talk about right living, especially in a culture that wants to believe in just kind of relative truth, we can get hives and we can get itchy because we just want to live our truth. I'll live my truth, you live your truth, and just leave me alone. But the reality is that there is no truth apart from the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus makes no uh, excuses for having a way to live, but he also has reminded us in his word that our right standing is not based on our right doing, but his work. That we can be made righteous, not because we do all the right things, not because we have read all the right books or we wear the right brand of slacks, but because Christ paid the price for our sin. Because Christ closed the gap. And now, because he has done the work, now daily we get to walk with him and learn and and be shaped by his hand as we become more like him. That's what sanctification means. It's a process. Jesus did a work in a miraculous moment, and then he continues his work in us in mundane movements day by day as we learn how to become like him. And so today I want to continue on that track because as we continue, we've been looking at the book of Colossians, 
as, as we continue, one of the things that Colossians deals with and we deal with all the time is be much, much of why we feel hesitant at times to walk in this newness of life is because of perception. Because of what we perceive it to be, we almost feel like we're getting robbed of our joy or we're getting robbed of our fun or, or you know, we're, we're getting a really bad deal. I mean, yeah, we get eternal life, which should be a pretty much amazing thing, like eternal life. But we start thinking about all the things we have to give up rather than all the things that we actually get. And we focus at times in the church about all the things that we can't do anymore rather than think about all the things that we get to do in him. And so I want to speak to that this morning. I want you to know this morning that the exchange is worth the change. The exchange is worth the change. If you would, turn in your Bibles or your technology, or you can look up on the screen. If you don't have it, we're going to take care of you. We're going to go to John, the Gospel of John, beginning in chapter 10, starting with verse 10. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He said again, I came that they would have life and life abundantly. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have come, in fact, that we would have life and life abundantly. Lord, help us, God, to see you beyond the caricatures of the church that we've often adopted. Lord, that you would help us to see you beyond the misconceptions and the preconceived notions, Lord, of what it means to be a Christ follower. Lord, that you would help us to see you through the scar tissue of church hurt and offense so that we can walk in not just life, but abundance of life. That we would walk in fullness of life in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Kayla. All right, so last week was our kind of the wrap-up of our one-month celebration of our one-year anniversary. Come on. So... March 18th, March 18th marked our one-year anniversary as a church from when we launched. And uh, we just decided, you know, if Disney, whenever Disney World or whenever Disney celebrates a birthday, they celebrate for the year, which I think is a pretty crazy deal. Uh, so I figured we'll celebrate for a month. You know what I'm saying? We're just going to turn up for a month. And uh, so we kicked it off uh, on, on our celebration Sunday, our anniversary Sunday, and then we wrapped it up last week. And we wrapped it up with an awesome 80s prom dance party. Come on. Now, I'm telling you, it was amazing to see the display uh, of costumes that revealed themselves at this 80s uh, party. You know, we had some b-boys out here. For those of you who are unaware of what the b-boy is, it's a break boy, break dancers that were in their gear. We had the DJ. We had every shade of eyeshadow you can imagine. There was crimpers. I mean, I think we had, not crumpers, crimp, crimped hair. 
Um, I mean, it, it was legendary. But what was also very interesting is to not just see, you know, the 80s costumes, but then to also see some costumes that were like 80s-ish, but were more 90s. But it was kind of like, you know, like it was based on the perception of this is what I think 80s were like. And, and all of the costumes really kind of had that. It's like it was everyone's interpretation. I'm going to dress based upon what I perceive the 80s to have been like. And, you know, the 80s, you know, if you were alive during that time, you know, it was way more than just crazy eyeshadow and neon and hairspray and big hair and interesting music. I mean, that, those were big parts of it. But there was a lot more to it. But people were dressing, they were putting on these costumes based upon their perception of a time. And, you know, when I think of, you know, everybody kind of putting on their new clothes, especially it was funny seeing the transformation. And those of you who saw my mom knows there was a great transformation that took place. And uh, seeing people, how they were in the morning and then how they came back at night. And uh, Jenny Nelson, I don't even know, is Jenny in here today? Is Jenny here? She's out today. My, my, I don't even know if I can see Jenny the same way. Like, my goodness. It, it was an amazing transformation. But, you know, you see that here was this change. There was a change of costume. There was a change of clothes. There was a change of outfit based on a perception. And when we come into life in Christ... What Christ offers us is not just a moment of transformation, but he actually wants to transform us for life. And we see this language that's used in Colossians, where it's this sense of, I used to wear these clothes, but now in Christ I get a new wardrobe. When I was living in sin and when I was living in death and when I was living in a life of destruction, I used to wear a certain wardrobe. But Christ went and he did a shopping spree and a makeover. And he paid for it all. And he didn't put any of it on layaway. I'm just so thankful salvation isn't on layaway. That freedom isn't on layaway. You know, it's like, hey, I got this for you. And after a few installments and this check clears, you're good. No, it was paid in full. And so when we come in this newness of life, sometimes the challenge is, is we get this new wardrobe and we just don't really know how to wear it right. Or... We try to cut this new wardrobe. We try to, to customize and shape and cut away the things of God to fit us instead of allowing ourselves to be cut and refined to become like Christ. And so I understand that a lot of it is surrounded around this fear. It's this perception. See, people were putting on costumes based on their perception of the 80s. And in the same way, we kind of put on the clothes of the resurrection or, or the clothes of this new life based upon our perception of what we thought love was or what we thought peace was or what we thought joy looked like. And we can be hesitant to fully be all in because of this fear 
based on what we saw before based on what was modeled or based on what we think we're going to lose. I know even in this last week, Kelly and I, our phones, there was this new iOS update. And when we downloaded it on our phones, uh, you know, sometimes these updates on the, on the technology, they've got bugs in it and they have different impacts. And it was like killing our battery life. And so when I saw the update come up on my iPad, I was like, I don't know if I want to update because of a fear of what I thought I might lose. And I know that some of you and, and many of us, it not, it's not just in a one-time thing. It can be a constant thing where God's calling us. He's saying, I have actually given you an update. I actually want to exchange something with you. But it's the fear of what we might lose that keeps us from going all in. Again, this morning, the Lord wants you to know the exchange is worth the change. There's an old adage that says, people don't change until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. And I believe that there's some people in here that you are actually at the point where you're sick and tired of the place that you've been in. And God wants you to know that there is an exchange. And so here, when we look in Colossians, beginning in chapter 3, And we're going to start in uh, verse 5. It's talking about this old wardrobe, the shady old ratty clothes, that old high school musical T-shirt that you have, that you wear, that your wife has been trying to get you to throw out for like five years. He says in verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality and impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On these things the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Put away anger and wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You know, the funny thing is about this old life, about our old wardrobe, is when you actually just kind of lay it out and look at it, you realize, you know what, that is kind of ratty. When you really just put it out there, are we, all, are we awake this morning? I just want to make sure that we're here. Now. I know sometimes you can, you can get a word and you're like, uh. Some wives are sitting next to their husbands and they're going, this word is for you. Some husbands have been sitting next to their wives and going, this word is for you. <laughs> and there's some singles going around here saying, this word is for me, Jesus. Yes, it is. It's for me too. And, and, and you've got to, I love how Apostle Paul, he just kind of puts it out there. In case you're wondering what I'm talking about, I'm talking about the way that you talk to each other. I'm talking about your attitude and the way that you respond to conflict. I'm talking about the way in which you engage relationally. He's speaking. He gets real personal. He starts coming at the very primal desires of the flesh and the way that we treat our bodies and the way that we engage sexually and the way that we engage in our communication. And the thing about it is, is it's not saying it's not about that sex in and of itself or speech in and of itself is evil, but it's the way in which we ward in the old self, the distortion of its operation in our lives that he's coming at. We don't walk in it this way anymore. And you realize, that's what I've been holding on to? 
especially when you look at the contrast. Let's look at, look at the new clothes, the new hotness, beginning in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other. Imagine that, forgiving each other, my Lord. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing the, uh, one another in all wisdom, singing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. But he gives us this new wardrobe, a wardrobe of love, a wardrobe of unity, a wardrobe of peace. I love it even in the previous chapter, or the beginning in uh, Colossians 1. He talks about uh, this exhortation. He says, may you be strengthened. This is 1.11. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy that in Christ we now have an inheritance of joy. We now gain an inheritance of love and peace and unity. Now the problem is we thought we knew what these things were. The problem is we all have these concepts, these words, particularly in our culture with between blogs and social media and music. I mean, love is a topic that is most sung about than any other topic, and yet so few of the songs that actually talk about love are actually talking about love. They might talk about lust. They might talk about sexual desire. They might talk about some kind of weird symbiotic relationship, but so few of them are actually talking about biblical love. And so we've trained ourselves to think that this, that's what love is. That our old clothes of earthly passions and sexual immorality and purity, we've convinced ourselves that that's what love looks like. And so when we get called to take off that old cloak of impurity and sexual immorality, we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I, but I, I don't want to let go of love. Do you understand this relationship is destroying you? No, 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 but he loves me. Or I, I feel wanted. I feel desired. You know, one of the things, I'm, I wouldn't even plan on hitting on this, but I'm going to hit on it and trust the Lord to help me out. But one of the things that bothers me is this infatuation, particularly on social media, for Christian men and women, and I'll just say it particularly women, to feel like being perceived as sexy is actually a fruit of the Spirit or something that should be afforded to you. And so we have actually elevated over-sexualization over beauty and holiness. And this isn't about saying like, okay, your skirt needs to be two inches below your knee, you know, and cry, trying to create this thing, but it's like we have we've gotten to the point where we actually try to compromise and we try to endorse glorifying perversion rather than glorifying God. 
and understanding that your self-worth will never, ever, ever be satisfied by others perceiving you as sexy. It will only be satisfied by the revelation that God has already called you beautiful. Thank you for two hands. I thank, I thank you for that. That's, that's really what it comes down to. We don't want to let go of these things because we've become addicted to the wrong source. And so we're afraid of where we're going to get our new supply. Now, the encouraging news is, is that God does not, he's not calling you to starve. He actually has an unending supply. A supply that requires zero walk of shame after you've used it. It's real. And so he's not just calling us to be weaned off of one thing. He says, no, I want you to feast at my table. What I bring you is greater than anything you can experience. I want to highlight just a handful of those. This is, this is not the all-inclusive thing, but this is some of what we get. So I want to highlight a, a, a three of these, three of these new garments. First of all is love. Love. Now, I, I use that already in, in some sense because it is one of the things that we so often are afraid to let go of. It's amazing. There was um, a young lady, Kelly, uh, my wife, she was, we, this was early on kind of in our ministry. We're in uh, working with a lot of college students and, and young adults, and there was one young lady that she had particularly was ministering to who had really struggled with some self-worth and identity, and she kept falling into this same immoral relationship with this young man. And my wife, she was speaking the word and, and giving her some, uh, some scriptures to begin speaking and praying, and, and she even uh, gave her a book called Captivating by John and Stacy Eldridge, really helped rewire and help her see herself the way God sees her. But there were some practical steps that my wife had encouraged her in, one of which was to lead homeboy's phone from her, uh, number from her phone, to not have him over, okay? Just, some things you just got to cut off and cut out. And I know some people are like, oh, but, you know, I'm the only Christian in his life. You know what? The Lord will provide. <laughs> Clearly, it is not provision for you. All right? The Lord will provide. But, you know, Kelly, this is when I, we were just, we had been married barely even, I think, like, barely even five months. So I was still getting to know, like, even her ministry style and everything. So I'm in the side office, and I'm listening to her, and she gives her this instruction. It was great. It's encouraging. She's crying. Oh, my gosh, thank you so much. Oh, my gosh, you're so amazing. I love Jesus. Oh. And so she goes, and then a week goes by, and I'm back in my office, and Kelly's meeting with this girl again. And she comes, and she's like, oh, my gosh, I'm just so hurting, and I just don't understand, and I just, I don't know. And Kelly, like, this is when I would realize how savage my wife was. She goes, so uh, what happened? Well, I mean, I just, I, I called him, he called me again, and then I was like, oh, you know, I'm kind of lonely. So I told him to come over, and he came over, and then we just, I don't know what happened. So Kelly goes, um, so you didn't delete his phone from your, his number from your phone? Did you read the scriptures that I gave you? I mean, I've just been so busy, and I just, I just haven't had time to read. Oh, okay. Did you read that book I gave you, the first chapter? I mean, I, was just, I didn't even have time to read the Bible. I couldn't read a book. It's just like, I don't know. So you, you called, you invite him over to your house? Yeah. Okay. 
I'm going to need you to do the things that I told you to do last week and then come back next week. Bye. I was like, dang. I mean, good night. Now, she was gracious, but the bottom line was is you can, we, you can hear a verse and somebody can encourage you and they can cry with you. But until you just put those old clothes in the trash and light a fire so you can't go back to them, you will not get free. And you can have, don't you know you can have brand new clothes and I'll wear them? One of the things that shocked me is my grandfather, he owned uh, an apartment. And one of the things sometimes, unfortunately, if he had to evict somebody, we would go and we would, we would go and we'd clear out the apartment and get it ready for the next person. I remember we went over to one of these apartments and there were clothes, like lots of clothes that still had tags on them. And I remember thinking when we started adding up the amount of clothes that had tags on them and, the, and what the dollar amount was on the tags, is it was actually more than the rent that they didn't pay. And I thought, here it is, that the provision was right in their house. But you got to put it on. It's already been paid for. Don't you understand that the love that you need the affirmation that you need, the peace that you need. See, many of us, you thought you saw love because that's what was demonstrated to you at home. And it was broken. Not because your parents were malicious or they just set out to say, hey, let's see how we can screw up these kids. No, it's because they were figuring it out. Because they were broken. They were desperate in need of a Savior. But God doesn't want you just to be, your, your, your blessing, your capacity to be able to experience love and to put on love to be based upon whatever you grew up with or your circumstances. He says, I got all that you need, but you got to put it on. Put on unity. Learn how to love people who don't think like you, look like you, or act like you. Now, the other problem is love doesn't always mean complicit agreement. And so that's how we have to actually learn how to love people who actually we disagree with. And that's part of walking in love. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 6 says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. You may have thought you've known love, but until you've experienced the love of Jesus, you have not known love yet. He wants you to put it on. The second thing is peace. I love peace. I love peace. And the thing that I love about peace is that peace does not mean that nothing wrong and nothing crazy is going on. It means that I can be in the midst of craziness and have peace of mind and not be full of fear and anxiety and stress. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? That means that this peace, it actually doesn't make sense. It baffles. Anybody can have peace when you got that extra bonus you weren't expecting. Anybody can have peace when you really didn't have to worry too much about paying any deductible on the health insurance. Anybody can have peace 
when you just got that car, it's got 15,000 miles on it, and it is just humming. Right? That's just not peace. That's just, you know, it's going good. Way to be. That doesn't blow anybody's mind. It makes sense. The peace that passes all understanding is when you just involuntarily have a new job search. That just opportunity that just came into your lap. Like, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. Look for a new job, vocation. There's nothing to do with my degree. Bless God. But yet, you have peace and you're not afraid because you know that God is your provider. And he works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You know, having peace is when your car breaks down and you got five kids who are playing three different sports and they just keep eating things, including your money. You're like, Lord Jesus, uh, how is this going to work out? And you can be reminded, hey, I, I, I knew this was going to happen. I wasn't shocked. Don't you know that when stuff happens, God's not like, oh, no, I didn't see it coming. You know, it's not like he's watching every episode of your life and, you know, it gets to the end of the episode. like, will they make it? Will there be provision? Will they live? He's not like hanging on. Oh, oh, no, the DVR ran out. I got to wait till next week. No, he is ready. He's always ready. He has a provision of peace beyond what we can understand. One of the great testimonies of peace is when people say to you, how can you be so calm? If I were in your situation, I'd be freaking out right now. And the truth is, when we're walking in the peace of God, it's not because we're not freaking out. Like, there's just times where internally you're like, oh, I, I, I don't know. But I know that he loves me. And I know that he's going to provide. It doesn't make sense. So peace is a garment that we get to put on. You know what? One of the great things about peace, and let me tell you one of the things that, well, it's beautiful when you see all these things, love and peace, and we're going to talk about joy, and there's other things. They're great individually, but they also work beautifully together. So when we're walking in the peace of God, then when calamities happen around us, whether it be in our family or our city or our nation, we don't have to respond the same way the world does. We understand that we're grounded and rooted in love and that my affirmation and my value and who I am in Christ actually allows me to walk in an unwavering security. That when stuff happens, particularly when stuff happens, the enemy intentionally sets off bombs to get people to be divided. I just, you know, if he, there will never be a time in our history, just newsflash, until Jesus returns if you ever think that, like, we're walking in any semblance of ethnic unity, just wait. Just wait. There, because the enemy thrives off of our division. So there's inevitably going to be somebody who says something, who says the culturally inappropriate thing, who makes a comment, and also heart-wrenching injustice that happens. It's not to dismiss it, but to say, we, if we cannot take the bait of the enemy, we can actually look at the situation and be able to assess it properly and understand that, yeah, we can make all the external changes we want, but until God transforms a heart, there won't be any real change. But in order to be able to see that, we've got to be a people who are walking with the garment of love and peace. That when we walk into a room, we're not instigating fights. We're actually releasing peace. I step into a storm not to make it worse, but to actually tell it to stop so that we can function, so that we can love each other. 
It's, a, it's an amazing gift. I'm telling you right now, even just from a vocational standpoint, if you can learn how to embrace that gift to be able to diffuse and bring peace to a situation, you will actually have a lot of staying power in your job because people are stressed out at work. People are freaking out. People are daily afraid of whether they're going to lose their job and trying to get an edge up on something. You actually create an atmosphere, an intangible, that when you step into a room, things change for the better. That's a great way to keep your job. That's just a little side note. That's for free. God bless it. The last thing that I want to hit on is joy. And this is one that is particularly just stands out to me because I think that we, we oftentimes, there's this bad perception that walking in Christ means, man, I guess I just can't have fun anymore. Man, all that fun I used to have, man, I can't do that anymore. Like, really? It was fun being in that room, that old musty-smelling club, wondering how can I trick somebody into giving me what I need? How can I make this girl think that I'm something I'm not? How can I make this guy think that I'm something I'm not? How can I mask my insecurity and my brokenness? How much can I drink before I vomit and look real trashy? Oh, that, that, was, that was amazing. That was so much fun. It was so much fun to wake up the next day and try to figure out where I was. It was so much fun to really pray that my mom and dad didn't find out about what I did. That was so much fun. That was so much fun. There is a joy that we can experience in Christ. And it's not some weird thing. Like, you know, it's not like everybody all of a sudden becomes... Uh, what is it, Smithers from Simpsons? You know, all of a sudden we just wake up, we get saved, we're like, hey, praise the Lord, everybody. Everything's great. Everything's good. Issues with marriage? What marriage? No, no, no. It's not that we all of a sudden we get lobotomized or we just all of a sudden get this drip that numbs us to the reality of life, and that's the only way that we can have a smile on our face or joy in our hearts. He said we actually have a supply of the joy of God Why? Not because it's something that we are constantly trying to look for. It's that God is a God of joy. He is a joyous God. He's not this mean, vindictive, checklist deity who's waiting for you to mess up so he can kick you and rub your nose in your shame. That's not who he is. The scripture actually tells us that our God, he sings songs. In Zephaniah it says he sings songs over you. He delights in you. He made you because he wanted you. He wanted to walk with you. He doesn't just tolerate you. I don't want to be tolerated by God. I want to be loved by God. God doesn't just tolerate you in your jank. He loves you in your jank, in your mess. He doesn't just love you when you did everything right. In fact, it says that while you were yet sinning, He loved you because he delights in you, and he is full of joy. So when you surrender your life to him, you're not actually giving up true joy. What you're giving up is that thing that was a really bad impersonator of joy. That was like the Vegas impersonator of joy. Bad wig, janky voice, all that. That impersonator that just kept you sedated enough Not that it actually made the situation better, but it just kept you from realizing it. 
I'm thankful that this in Christ, we actually have a joy that is not negated by bad things happening. It's actually activated. The scripture says in James 1, verse 2 through 3, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, that in Christ we can count it all joy. I don't need this or that or the other. And, and I'll say this, because I, I feel like particularly when we're talking about a topic like this and we talk about righteousness, part of why it's so touchy is because we have different perspectives on the do's and the don'ts. And particularly, one of the things that I've noticed in the Midwest, but especially Indianapolis, is I grew up here, and I was gone for 16 years, and I moved back. And one of the things I've seen just creep into the church is an almost like over-infatuation with alcohol. Now, I'm not here trying to tell anybody that you can't drink alcohol. I believe that the scripture says that drunkenness is a sin. So that's not a good thing. But if you have a beer, if you have a drink of wine, I don't think like all of a sudden you need to like come before the altar necessarily. You've got to walk that out between you and the Holy Spirit. Some of you, the Holy Spirit said, you don't need to do this. So you listen to him. Regardless of what Pastor John says, the Holy Spirit, if it lines up with the word, then you need to do that, which Pastor John's telling you to do that, so listen to me. Um, but my point, my point is this, is that we don't ever want to be into a position where we actually think we need some external thing in order to have joy. Almost like a party can't be fun without an open bar. Or a party can't be fun without this external thing. Do you understand that in Jesus, Jesus is like one of those all-inclusive honeymoon, honeymoon resorts? It's all in him. It's all in him. All the joy you will ever need is in him. You don't have to stop turning up just because you give your life to Jesus. In fact, you didn't even know what that was. You thought you knew what joy was. You thought you knew what fun was. You don't even have a clue. God has all the joy and all the fun and all the celebration. And it's not just like, and again, I just emphasize it. It's, it's practical things like this. We had a bunch of guys that came, the B-boys that came. They don't go to our church. Their crew in town. And they were just shocked that a church was partying like we were partying. Not because anything, any shadiness was going on. There wasn't anything shady. There were no, like, we were dancing. But dancing is from the Lord. Don't give that to the devil. Now, some of them moves need to stay in the grave. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes it's not always the shady one. Sometimes it's just the lack of coordination that needs to be laid at the altar. Yes, Lord. But we were having fun, and there was joy, and there was life, and there was celebration. And when they walked in those doors, they were not ready because of the perceptions that we have of church. I remember when Kelly and I got married at our wedding reception, we didn't have any open bar. We didn't have any alcohol. Part of that was because of the budget. God bless it. But <laughs> I said, it's open if your wallet is. Um, but one of the waitresses, she was walking around, and she was like, man, we were partying. We were dancing. Kelly and I, we saw people dancing on the dance floor before we got there. We were like, oh, we got to go out. The party's moving on without us. And one of the waitresses came up to her dad and said, wait a second. What is going on with these people? None of them are drinking? He's like, No. He goes, they just all go to the same church. She goes, what church is that? 
when we wear the clothes that God has made for us, when we walk in love and when we walk in peace and when we walk in joy, it will do something in such a way that other people that don't have it go, where'd you get that? I want that. I had a guy that I was wearing a jacket. It wasn't even something that special. I walked outside, and, and this guy that was in the neighborhood, he goes, man, where did you get that jacket? Man, that thing is hot. And I just think, I, I want to walk. I want you. God wants you to walk in this new wardrobe he's purchased in such a way that when you walk in the city of Indianapolis, people look at your life and go, where did you get that love? Gosh, where did you get that peace? Man. I'm tired of this fear. I don't want to wear this anymore. Where where did you get that joy? How can I find that? I'm so thankful that the reason that we even have this opportunity to put on new clothes, to put on this new wardrobe of resurrection life is because Christ who was clothed in glory stepped down into our mess and he exchanged our brokenness with his healing. He exchanged our sin and our shame for his righteousness and his holiness. He exchanged our hate and our malice with his love and his peace. The reason that you and I even have an opportunity this morning to walk in this is because the exchange was worth the change for Jesus. He looked upon you knowing you would never live a perfect life. But he saw what he had for you, the plans that he has for you. And he saw it worth giving of his best so that you could walk in freedom. So that you could unplug from the IV of shame and addiction. So that you could unplug from that thing that has been destroying you. That you could plug into his righteousness and his goodness. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. The way that we put, we begin to put these clothes on, is we've got to get into his word. We talked about this last week, and I'm just going to wrap this thing up. Kayla, if you can go ahead and come on up. Just some practical ways. If we're going to learn how to wear this wardrobe, we've got to get into his word. See, what, what does it say about love? What does it say about this new joy? What does it say about this peace? We learn how to, how to wear it differently and to untangle the knots and the misconceptions of the past. Last week we 
reminded many of you that we have a resource called the Purple Book. And it's really just biblical foundations. But you won't learn how to put on this new life unless you actually go and look at the tailor and see what he says. That he's the one doing the work in you. But it also challenges us in saying that we ought to come together and sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs that we're teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. This isn't something that's just done in a vacuum. The fullness of life is never just going to be between you and Jesus. Because when you get adopted, God has not just called you to have a relationship with him. He's called you to be a part of a family. And that each of us are encouraging us to pursue him. And when we sing these songs and when we read this word, it reminds us of what we've been given. It reminds us of the blessing that we have. God wants to work in you. Now, I know that there are some people this morning. I want to pray for two people. Two groups of people. One, you have been given this wardrobe. You've received Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. But you received it. You looked at it. Maybe it just fit, fit kind of funny at first. And so you just hung it up, put it in the closet. And every time you walk in that closet, you see this amazing gift. But because of what you're afraid to give up, or because of your fear of what that might call you to surrender, or how others might perceive you, you look at it, and it's almost like every time you do, you just feel this like enemy has used it to shame you and to to beat you down it actually fits better than you think not only that it actually looks great on you but God just wants you to put it on he wants you to pull it out he wants you to begin to walk in the peace that he purchased for you he wants you to wear that beautiful dress that he put together and that he custom fit for you. He wants you to put on that new jacket, sir. That jacket that is not based upon the generational curse of divorce in your life, but based upon his covenant-keeping power. So that you're not just looking at something that you wish you had, but you realize, no, I have it. This is mine. God wants to meet you this morning. Then there's others that are here and you're like, man, I don't even have this wardrobe. I, I got something, but it's not love. I, I, I got something, but it's not, it's not this. If you want to know, not only know more about this Jesus, but if you want to walk in fullness of life. We want to pray for you as well. And we have people that want to help you on this journey and want to connect with you and, and help you not only come into it, but learn what this life is about. If you're here this morning and you say, I need to know more about this Jesus. I want to walk in this Jesus, in this fullness of life. Today, after we finish praying, I want to ask you to come back to our city central 
And we want to connect you with one of our city group leaders. We want to connect you with someone who will call you this week, who will reach out to you and see how can we begin with you on this journey. And if you're here this morning and you're saying, I just want, I just need freedom. I need to learn how to put these things on. Wherever you are, I want to pray for you right now. Let's bow your heads. Father, I thank you that everything that we need is in you. Everything that we need is in you. Lord, I thank you that you have purchased love and peace and joy, hope. That every provision of healing has been purchased on the cross. Lord, for those of us who received that at one point, whether it was last week or 40 years ago, Lord, I'm asking that you would remind us of the joy and the inheritance that we have and to put it on. Lord, that whatever fear would keep us from walking in it, Lord, that you would expose that fear, Lord, that even as Paul did to the Colossians, to the church at Colossae, Lord, that that you would lay it out and help us to truly see it for what it is, not to sugarcoat it, not to even have this almost um, uh, this affection of uh, this nostalgia around this old wardrobe, but that you would help us to see it as broken, see it as stealing and robbing from us, from our families, from our calling, and that we would not only put it off, but we would put it to death. But Lord, I also pray that in that, that we would not just put it aside and then reach for a new thing, just some new short-term thing, but we would grab a hold of you, that we would grab a hold of you, that we would not, Lord, I pray that, Lord, even, Lord, I just, even as I'm praying, I just know there's been some of you and you have gone from thing to thing to thing, and you keep looking in the corner of your eye and you see the provision of God, and yet each time it's just like this fear of, I don't want to let go. I don't want to let go. I want to let it go. God's not just calling you to let go. He's calling you to grab a hold of Him. Grab a hold of His blessing. Grab a hold of His joy. Grab a hold of your inheritance. It's already been paid for. Lord, help us to run to you and walk in it, to walk in this newness of love and peace and of joy and freedom in you. We bless you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give him praise. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, 